So I don't want to kind of belabor another and lay another foundation. We already have several um, podcasts on catechism. I was going to put together on catechism and family worship. Um, I want to kind of combine those two together here today. So I don't want to lay down another foundation. You guys should have some kind of an outline where it's just the scriptures that we're going to be going off of today. Um, You should have all of Deuteronomy 6, which is the locus classicus for family worship and uh, and largely for catechism. So we're not going to read the whole thing. If you get bored uh, or don't want to pay attention to what I say, just read that. But I do want to read some sections from Deuteronomy 6 as we get started. So, verse 1, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons. Skipping down to verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, And when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as signs on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Down to 12. Then take care lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 20. When your sons ask you in the time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you. Verse 24, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us. Uh, So feel free to, in your own time, Read all of Deuteronomy 6, uh, look at it in context in all of the Pentateuch, the first five books uh, of the Bible, and kind of see what's going on there in more context. Uh, so like I said, I don't want to lay down like another foundation of family worship and catechism. I think we have that pretty well established in our church and in our minds. Um, if you want, I can send you the links to uh, at least three or four offhand that I know that I revisited this week uh, to listen to. So what I do want to do is kind of raise up another vision um, of family worship and kind of shed some new light on it. So what I'm kind of scared of is that everything we do well as a church, uh, we've kind of in the last couple years, some things have overshadowed and I think family worship um, and specifically how we do devotions uh, has kind of lost some ground, so to speak. So I think the overall problem is that everybody has. It's very hard to pass down everything you know to the next generation or to anybody. (laughs) Kids are really hard, Uh, you know, let alone trying to teach little kids or adolescents um, and trying to pass down your own heart and your mind and your vision what God's doing in you is very hard to pass on to the next generation. Uh, 
and so I don't want to limit this just to families with kids. Um, this applies to single households. This applies to anybody in any type of Christian community, really anywhere. So currently, uh, we have five families. If I counted right, there's a good chance that this is wrong. Uh, we have five families with a total of 11 children and two teenagers. And that's five, uh, 11 children plus two teenagers, where the teenagers I don't really think are children, but that's for another discussion. So, and then outside of our leadership, we have 15 singles living in community and households together. So with those, with just that establishment, we have a really good church community, and I think we have regular devotions. Um, and what I want to kind of show through Deuteronomy here is the household is the primary spot where we should be doing discipleship, training, and passing on, especially in here in Deuteronomy, to teach the commandments um, and, as we'll see, to learn to, to love the Lord and with catechism, with doctrine. So uh, I want to remind us of our gospel call, which is in every covenant. God works covenantally. Uh, he calls a covenant head, and there's always successors. There's always every covenant God makes, he is planned to pass it down. It is not just for you. Uh, it's for your children. And in Deuteronomy, it even says when your sons and your sons' sons ask, right? This was not just for those people in Israel, uh, or there was no Israel at the time. Uh, there was a people of Israel, but there was no land there in Deuteronomy. They were coming into the land to take possession of it. Um, but uh, it was for the following generations to know. So, uh, most important point, God works generationally. Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth, beneath, or in the waters below. Where is that from? Well, we know it's from Exodus. What section? What's this out of? You shall not make any graven images. The Ten Commandments. Good. Two points for John Luke. All right. Uh, you shall not bow down to them or to worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Uh, so I'm going to kind of jump in and out of some different context, but keep in mind there, those who love me and keep my commandments, because that sounds like something Jesus said. Several times in Matthew 14 uh, and 15. So Genesis 9, uh, verses 12. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. So God works generationally. When he makes a covenant, he makes a covenant generationally. generationally. Um, think about Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David. All five of the major federal head covenants in the Old Testament explicitly have successors to the covenant. The covenant was made to Adam to pass on to his children. Genesis 3.15, right? Uh, and, well, three, all that section. Um, but specifically that there will be a seed to come. These things are going to be passed through the generations. Uh, right there in Genesis 9 with Noah, this is a sign for all generations. It's not just for Noah. It's actually, in, in that case with, with uh, Noah, that's a sign for everybody in the whole world, anybody who's ever born, right? Uh, Abraham, for your sons and your sons and your sons, all nations will be blessed through you. Uh, through Moses, we read here, 
that uh, it's for your sons and your sons and your sons' sons throughout the generations, uh, and David, for there will always be an heir on the throne through the line of David. Uh, so, Psalm twenty-two thirty through 31, Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that they had done it. So what I want to kind of do here is lift our heads and give us a bigger vision that this isn't just for families. This is for heads of households. This is for anybody living in community. That um, what we have as a church, what God's instilling to us as a people, that uh, there's ways we can do better in passing those things down. Because there's always, I found it, I find it very just practically hard to teach people, right? Like I, I do homeschool with Lily one day a week, and there's about two hours that I could, I could handle. She could probably do more. I don't know. Uh, I could only do two hours because I'm, after that, I'm tapped out. I don't know how to explain this in a way that helps you understand. Like two plus two is four. Just don't you get it? And I don't, uh, this is very hard, right? So Proverbs 29, 18, where we're getting at here is where there is no prophetic vision that people cast off restraint but blessed is he who keeps the law. So uh, again, I kind of want to like vision cast as far as like family worship and catechism, how we do devotions um, and so forth. So uh, just in the last two years, just kind of practically as a church, since I'm kind of like the head of the kids ministry, uh, we've gotten away from doing any sort of catechism. We've gotten away from having the kids memorize or working with the parents following up, and that's really on me because I'm the head of kids' ministry. So that's why I'm here today. So um, those are some of the things I want to look to restore, and this is just a stepping stone in helping us see because uh, even as with the kids' ministry downstairs, that's, uh, depending on how long the sermons go, that's up to three to four hours a week with the kids, but then how many hours, there are six more days throughout the week that you could utilize as parents, uh, and then, again, here as adults in the church sitting in, in the pews, this is two sermons or two lessons a week, and then you have six days in your home, right? So uh, the word of the Lord is very powerful. Sunday morning worship is very powerful and very important. Um, but I believe that the Lord wants to uh, raise up our vision of family and household worship. So... Um, Think about that second commandment that we just read. Just a little side note, just so everyone knows, because I find this interesting. Uh, we call that the second commandment, but not everyone calls that the second commandment. So in the Protestant way of thinking, it's the second commandment. Uh, in the Eastern or Roman way, that would be the third commandment, I think. Um, but they number it differently, but that's neither here or there. So think about that. He says, those who love me and keep my commandments, I will bestow grace on them for a thousand generations, right? That's the Lord's vision, that's the Lord's goal, to keep passing these things down of those who would be covenantally faithful. So the big problem we get into is, uh, first question is like, maybe we do household worship, maybe we do family worship, um, you know, or maybe that, maybe that time's lacking. So I think the biggest problem that most people have, or would say, uh, which is probably true, is a lack of time, right? I don't have enough time. 
Uh, it's very hard to be disciplined to get home at six o'clock or whenever and say, hey, we as a family are going to sit down and worship the Lord. And we're going to read a portion of scripture and we're going to sing a song and we're going to work on the catechism or we're going to do a teaching or something, right? Uh, we live in a world that's constantly going. I love to stay busy, uh, except for when I don't. And then I really like to not be busy. <laughs> and then I like to be really lazy. Um, but I think most of us would, I think the go-to is I don't have enough time. And that's just not true. We all have the same amount of time. Um, I, so in, if you read, there's a couple books I'll suggest towards the end, but Thoughts on Family Worship by James Alexander, which was written, well, I was going to say if Daniel's up here, but you might know. I think that was maybe the 1600s, James Alexander, maybe the 1700s. Um, he was recalling a time, much like we are today, when family worship was much more culturally popular and the uh, culture was much more Christianized, even in the individual families. And he would, walk, he would remember a time as a kid walking down the streets and hearing like every house singing songs in the evening, worship songs. That's just the way it was. And that there would be regular worship in the morning and the evening. And if you were an elder or any kind of church leader and you didn't do family worship, you were instantly kicked out of leadership because you're going to be a leader. And if you were uh, a father or head of household and you weren't regularly doing family worship, you were removed from the communion table. That's a little bit different from today, how we normally handle things, right? So, um, and we have all these gadgets. We have all, we have vehicles. We don't have to ride on horses. Uh, most of us don't ride on horses. And uh, time's not the issue, right? There wasn't any more time uh, a few hundred years ago. Um, but that was a regularly cultural thing. Uh, I personally would, that would be the first thing I would say is like, well, why don't I have enough time? Uh, you know, us at the condo have all kinds of different schedules, but that's not really an excuse. And, uh, you know, me uh, being a single dad, I've got, you know, a certain a lot of time with the girls, and I could easily say, and I do make those excuses of, we don't have enough time. We have to go paddleboarding. We have to go bike riding. Um, you know, we have to go to Chick-fil-A or our favorite ice cream place is JD's. Right? So, time's not the issue. The issue is the second commandment of if you're making idols or not, of if you're allotting time to worship the Lord or not. So, uh, Genesis 18:19, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him. Right? That's not exclusive just to parents. Anybody who lives in a household. Does anybody live outside? Nobody yet. Okay. So this applies to everybody that he may command his children. This is to Abraham, Genesis 18, and his, his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Adam what he has promised him. Um, and then everybody knows Joshua 24, 15. Does anybody have that posted on their wall anywhere? Anybody got it over their doorsteps? Anything? We got one. Uh, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Here's an interesting thing. Uh, I always find this kind of funny. Um, I've never done this, but you guys can be a little bit more bold than me. Uh, what's Joshua saying like something very specific about how he's going to serve the Lord. He's not just this like 
21st century nebulous. We're going to serve the Lord any way we please. And um, you can have the liberty to ask people who have that over their doors or whatever. I know a few people. Uh, how do you serve the Lord? What is Joshua talking about? What's the context? And then you can ask them, what are the Ten Commandments? Do you know them? Because if you don't, maybe you should take that down uh, or rethink it or something. So our children, our households are covenantally joined to the Lord. He chose us so that we would command others. That's a big part of his covenant. So I think we've kind of adopted this modern evangelical approach of even in our church, when we do household worship, I've been part of this, I've led this, of where we get together, we sing a couple songs, uh, we pray, and a lot of the prayers are like, Lord, help us be better people, and like, I'm already a person, I don't know how I could be more person or anything, and um, it's, and then there's no teaching, there's no uh, doctrine, there's no, nothing proclaimed after that, and it's, uh, it may or may not be a waste of time if we're praying things that aren't the will of God. And so what I want to kind of call us to is rethink, uh, those of us who do family worship and household worship, how we do it and what we're doing. So uh, are we commanding, are we being households that are teaching and passing down the things of the Lord? Or are we just getting together to sing a couple songs a few times a week and pray a couple prayers that uh, we may or may not be the will of God because we may or may not know the scriptures that deeply. So, uh, and I think that's kind of the modern evangelical approach is like we, like I think it's great that we get together households, single households, I think do this really well. I'd be probably accurate to say that uh, families with small children don't do this as consistently just because small Children are hard to lasso and get together, uh, especially when you got like a lot of kids and stuff. So, but uh, are we setting apart time to worship and are we doing it in a way that instills uh, the teaching and reverence of the Lord to the next generation or those who we live with? So, um, I'm going to kind of skip to like why we need to catechize. And I've got a little, uh, I think, is it on your outline, the Martin Luther's introduction to the Shorter Catechism? So if you want to, I really encourage you guys to read the whole thing. Find that online. Um, but think about this. Uh, this is just the, a part of his, this is the first part of his introduction to his Shorter Catechism. The deplorable, miserable conditions which I recently observed when visiting the parishes have constrained and pressed me to put this catechism of Christian doctrine into this brief, plain, and simple form. How pitiable, so help me God, were the things I saw. The common man, especially in the villages, knows practically nothing of Christian doctrine. And many of the pastors are almost entirely incompetent to, and unable to teach. Yet all the people are supposed to be Christians, have been baptized, and received the Holy Sacrament, even though they do not know the Lord's Prayer, the Creed, or the Ten Commandments, and live like poor animals of the barnyard and pig pen. What these people have mastered, however, is the fine art of tearing all Christian liberty to shreds. <laughs> Martin Luther was like such a nice guy. Oh my gosh. 
That's just the first paragraph. So we're not gonna read the whole thing, but I encourage you to read the whole thing and think about that. Uh, we kind of laugh because it's, uh, it's a little brazen, like, uh, but he was right. Uh, how many, we've, we do a good job for the, we do a good job in our modern culture, I think, as a church, and I commend us for having systematic theology and good teaching and, you know, doing one-on-one discipleship so that everyone will learn. But um, we're called to something a lot higher than that, I think, through the scriptures. And think about that what, in Martin Luther's statement in uh, the late 1500s uh, or middle 1500s. And think about how that reflects on today, on our Christian culture, on our churches. Could you go to uh, anyone who says they're a Christian and, um, you know, recite, uh, can they recite the Ten Commandments? Do they know the Lord's t- Prayer or the Creed or one of the creeds? So that's what mostly the catechisms have been based off of, or just about every catechism has been based off of the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, and a creed. A lot of times the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. Um, to Real quickly, because... Uh, what we read in Deuteronomy 6 is the law. Those who love God will obey his commandments. And if you don't know him, how, how are you going to love God? Sure, I totally 100% would say that if you've been regenerated, born of God, born by his Holy Spirit, that you will start to naturally, no one's going to have to tell you, like, don't kill people. <laughs> you know, uh, live faithfully. Those things will start to well up inside of you because the Holy Spirit has written his law on your heart, um, but the Holy Spirit's going to cause you to read his scriptures and know them deeper, and the more you know his law, the more the Holy Spirit's going to be able to move for you to become obedient and conform to that. Because if you don't know what, the, what pleases the Lord, how do you please him? How do you obey him? How do you follow him? Right? Um, a couple of years ago at Wright State, I had, I don't even remember what the teaching was, the series but I had asked, we had talked for maybe four or five weeks about the Ten Commandments and the law, and maybe it was about theonomy or something and the importance of the Ten Commandments. Uh, and I asked, we were getting towards the end of the semester anyways, and people were going to do finals or something. So it was a good time to pull out this card and say, if we've talked about this for five or six weeks and you don't have the Ten Commandments memorized, please go home. You're wasting your time. You're wasting my time. You're wasting God's time. And you probably need to study for your finals too. Uh, I don't know how I don't I don't know how many people actually had the Ten Commandments memorized or that kind of resonated with them at that time, but that's huge. And even I would say I know the short form, I know the summary, I could tell you what the commandments are, but I can't tell you the whole uh, of the scriptures, all the promises and covenant blessings that are associated with all of them. I've got work to do. Um, and so that's why the Ten Commandments are so important, and that's why they've been integrated into, into the creeds, and also um, the New City Catechism, which we've used, brings out good, I think it's Galatians 2.24, like what is the purpose of the law? Uh, it's, to, uh, it's our tutor, Galatians 2.24 says it's our tutor to lead us to Christ. If you don't know the depths of your sin, based on reality, based on God's law, then how deep are you going to come to, to God's grace? You can't very deeply. It's in direct correlation, right? So that's why the Ten Commandments are huge. The Lord's Prayer. 
Um, how do we pray? That's a question the disciples asked Jesus. Teach us to pray like, uh, like John teaches his disciples. So there's, uh, is there six petitions? Yeah, there's six petitions in the Lord's Prayer, um, starting with our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? So that's huge. How do we know what to pray, how to pray? How do we know the will of God? Well, a lot of it's recapitulated there in the Lord's Prayer. Pray for those things. That'd be a good start. Um, and think about those things. Meditate on those things. Uh, what I love going back to the Ten Commandments is in every catechism, it says, what are the Ten Commandments? It says, what is the first commandment? What is the second commandment? And then it asks you, what does this mean? Right? That should sound familiar with the kind of model laid out in Nehemiah 8, where he preaches, he stands on his soapbox, he literally builds a platform, he preaches to Israel as he's rebuilding uh, the wall or the temple, and uh, he uh, invites, uh, I don't know how many, it's several people that are in the community to sit down individually with people to ask them, do you understand what, what was read? Do you know what this is about? Did you get anything out of the sermon today? Can I help you know that, right? And those would then be, uh, this isn't explicit in Nehemiah, but uh, I'm guessing all those people didn't sit down with like eight and seven-year-olds. They might have. It's not outside the bounds of Scripture, but I'm guessing those heads of households, those families, those people living in community, then translated that to the younger generation because they were supposed to and helped the younger ones and everyone else in their household to understand uh, and then the creed. Um, I would believe, I'm not sure, I'm guessing Luther's talking about the Apostles' Creed, but, uh, and in, even in the catechism we use in the New City Catechism currently, uh, it has the Apostles' Creed, but we use the Nicene Creed. Uh, one of the great things about Sunday worship is I didn't have to do anything to teach Mariah and Lily, my children, the Nicene Creed. They just had to come to church. <laughs> and they know it. And sometimes we recite it. And you know, and um, what's great as a father and as a head of household is that, you know, sometimes when, uh, you know, I use the one a lot about, you know, and, and his kingdom uh, will, will continue and his kingdom won't end, that part in the Nicene Creed, right, of when we get, uh, you can use those things in your household, you can use those things to remind yourself of the gospel, you can use those things in teachings like, well, this is what we profess in the Nicene Creed. We would say this every week. There's no reason to have anxiety. There's no reason to find despair. Our world's going crazy right now. But guess what? God's kingdom continues. And it continues. And it's going to continue. Right? That's what we recite every week in the Nicene Creed. So... Um, Catechize, catechize, catechize. Uh, here's uh, some maybe new light that I want to bring into um, why household worship, catechism, teaching doctrine. If you don't know doctrine, that's okay. Grab a catechism book. <laughs> grab, uh, you know, um, grab sermon outlines. We have all these materials that we can use to catechize. One of the teachings... Um, that I was going to send out in the email is we did a three-part series on, I wish I could remember the actual title, but the cultivating a, cultivating a culture of continual catechism. 
that's what we're going for, is continually catechizing, continually teaching um, our people, because we want to be like those in, in Nehemiah. We want to make sure everyone understands. We don't want people to just come and sit in the pews and uh, check off, I went to church, I did these things, whatever. Um, so, uh, Deuteronomy being in Deuteronomy six being the locus classicus for family worship and catechism, I think we often forget what comes before Deuteronomy six, which is Deuteronomy five. That's the Ten Commandments. You can find the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy five, and that's a slightly different version than first in Exodus twenty. But what comes before Deuteronomy five is Deuteronomy four. Very good. So Deuteronomy four, four through nine. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. This will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. My law, my word, when you do them, not just talk about them, who will hear about these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Is there any other law like God's law? There's nothing that even pales in comparison. God's law is so just, it's the only standard of justice, it's the only standard of righteousness. Everything else is secular humanism out there today. Nobody has a standard. They are their own standard. Verse nine, only be careful and watch yourself closely so that you do not forget these things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Well, that's good. Thank God we don't read the Old Testament anymore. Oh, wait. I think Jesus had something to say about that. Uh, Matthew 5. What's in Matthew 5? What's the big thing in Matthew 5? The Sermon on the Mount. Very good. Where he, uh, uh, after this, after verses 13 through 16, um, starting in verses like 21 or something, he starts to reinterpret the law God had intended. He goes even further. Like you said, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. And he takes it even further. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, right? He goes through the commandments. But this is where he starts. This directly mirrors and mimics exactly what was said in Deuteronomy 4. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. We've all heard this. You all the, are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a, I must have not done the ESV, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So we love to say that. You guys see the correlation between Deuteronomy and Matthew? 
right before he starts addressing the law, he says, you are a light to the nations. You're a light to the world. This is how you do it. It's not in some kind of nebulous form of go out and be good people. It's follow my law. Here's the law. The next thing he says in verses, uh, even if you want to throw out Deuteronomy, that's fine for now, until you get to Matthew 5.17 where he says, I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets. We'll go back and then take Deuteronomy back. Uh, Jesus loved Deuteronomy. He quoted it quite often, right? So there's the same model that God had always designed that his people would be a separate people, a holy people, a sanctified people for the whole world to see how they operate in their families, how they handle money. Uh, now, um, you could read Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, and kind of see how it's a lot of its uh, morals on adultery, lust, greed, things like that, treating your enemies with fairness, equity, praying for them. Um, but he's just recapitulating some, some of those ideas. The law has everything to say about money, has everything to say about how to raise your children, has everything to say about how you do work or read the Proverbs of how to handle a business. Um, the, the word of the Lord is not limited by any means. This is our light, and, and we're going to be a light to the nations, and they should be looking on us and saying, what great God they have that is so near to them. Who has laws as just as the church? Like, that's what we're looking forward to is the day that the world starts turning to us and saying, the whole world's burning, but all, all across the world in these Christian churches, uh, they're not just not despairing and not worrying and not joining in the anarchy that's out there or whatever's going on in the world, but they're continuing to build. They're economically stable. Their families are pretty good. <laughs> their, their kids love them or something, uh, I hope. Uh, you know, like they're, being, like they're, they're raising kids right. How do we, like the world should be starting to turn to us. That's our vision, and it starts in the household. It can't be handled once a week in church. It can't be handled in a kind of minor way. We have to set apart time. This has to become a continual thing. Um, and there's, there's practical ways that we'll talk for five minutes about how to do that. So where do we go from now? Uh, well, I just kind of started thinking about this more in January, and uh, I openly repented and confessed to my children, and then it only took me uh, seven months to start taking action. So maybe you guys can go faster. Um, last night was the, uh, just side story, last night was such a wonderful night. Uh, Mariah and I learned in Christ alone. I played the guitar and she played the piano. And it was probably the worst rendition that anyone's ever heard and it was off. And Lily sang uh, the first few words that she knew, first couple lines. And, but that's a step forward, we did something, right? That's where we're going. Uh, so you don't have to know all the right answers, but, uh, and it doesn't have to be burdensome. Like if we've got four books on that, um, Family of Worship by Joel Beakey, that's a great 60 page book where it says like, 10 minutes is fine if you're in a busy family. That's totally legit. Uh, but set apart time in your families to worship the Lord. Grounded in the gospel, building believers the old fashioned way. 
by J.A. Packer and Gary Parrott. That was the book of the year for us in 2015 or 16 or something. Um, and it's a big, thick book about why you should catechize people. And that goes for, if you've never been through a catechism, uh, I've got, I just suggest you get a new city catechism or this really short book I've got downstairs called First Catechism uh, and just read through it. Just read the questions. Read the questions and see if you can answer them, like without looking at the, if you know the answers. Like, what do we mean, uh, you know, by taking like those questions about the Lord's table and different things. So, um, thoughts on family worship, James Alexander. That's really easy to read because it's, it's just him journaling thoughts on family worship and practical ways to, to go through. And then one we don't have in our library, which you might have to get a hold of me or order, is a book bar by C.R. Wiley called The Household and the War for the Cosmos, where he goes through especially Ephesians, where it says that like every family on earth has been named you know, through our Father who is in heaven. Is That's kind of a hard thing to translate, but like every father has been fathered by our Father who is in heaven. And that uh, the household is the beginning grounds where you take war against those who later in Ephesians says we uh, don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and things in heavenly places where you do that in your household. It's all built on household and family worship and, and building up your children and, and those who you, uh, who you live with. So we can do it. We can regain uh, it starts with a vision and repenting and starting to plan and implement something in your individual household. Um, those with kids, uh, good luck. Uh, you can do it. I believe in you. Um, you don't need luck. You just need uh, God's law and grace. Um, and it doesn't have to be that long. Um, you know, I get a very limited time with the girls, and we're going to start very specifically setting apart time just to worship and learn songs and do things like that together instead of eating ice cream all the time. Um, so those, that's kind of how we begin. We've got 2,000 years worth of materials we can tap into. Nobody is without excuse. Nobody has an excuse. Uh, you don't have to build anything. It's all been passed down and handed down, and we have the things ready, and all we have to do is begin to implement them. So hopefully that gives us a greater vision of household worship. I would encourage everyone to go back and find the podcast on family worship and catechism and revisit those. There's about four or five of them. If you can't find them, uh, email me. Uh, if you want catechism books or other resources about how you can lead your individual households into more maturity uh, and, just, uh, and just materials to use, uh, get a hold of me or any of the elders or Nathan or anybody who, um, what's that? Noel. Or Noel, because she's got the book ministry uh, about what you could use. So uh, let's close and pray. Uh, Father, we continue to uh, stretch out your hands that by grace we would become obedient to your law, a light to the nations, and we would become the sanctified holy people that you have called us to. Fill us with your spirit to not only write your law on our hearts, but enable us to do it. Uh, in your son's name we pray. Amen.